You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday, and today you'll hear an episode from our Takeover series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to another fun Flip My Funnel podcast takeover series. So I'm always excited when we can have somebody run a full series. And this time it's epic takes, mixtapes from the customer experience podcast run by Ethan. Uh, Ethan is, uh, is the chief evangelist at BombBomb and he's been doing some ridiculously amazing conversations on the idea of customer experience. And he's, he's introducing this series around uh, mixtapes. So Ethan, welcome and thank you for doing this, man. Sure. Thank you so much. I think it's so cool that you open this up. It's a true community spirit and mindset that you open the show up to, uh, to guest takes like this. And I, it's a privilege to be here. All right. So introduce what this series really is all about as people will jump into this every other Tuesday or Thursday as the series unfolds. Awesome. Yeah. So I was coming up on episode 100 of the Customer Experience Podcast. I'm bringing together typically sales, marketing, and customer success to talk about how we can be more intentional and aligned in creating and delivering better experiences for customers. But I wanted to do something special because, you know, it's episode 100. So I went back and found some of the best passages that were transcendent of day-to-day operations, that were transcendent of marketing, of sales, of CS. You know, these conversations are packed with useful insights, but these individual takes that I chose came from moments where they just transcended it and they're very uh, human-centered, human-focused. I think that's been a consistent theme on the show. So I really devoted that episode and now this series to sharing that. So we're going to hear from some really great guests like, and I think most people listening to the show know David Cancel from Drift, Joey Coleman, author of Never Lose a Customer Again, the director of runner experience at Brooks Running, Rachel Ostrander. You are in this series, by the way. You've been on the show twice. One of my friends and co-founders at BombBomb, Darren Dawson, Matt Sweezy from Salesforce, who I know you know and wrote an amazing book called The Context Marketing Revolution. So that's the series. I'm really excited about it. And it's just a privilege to learn and share so many good insights from so many smart and kind people such as yourself. When I'm lucky to be in this. So Ethan, without further ado, let's jump into it as you introduce each and every guest for this entire series. And again, thank you so much for doing this. 10 rules for building a category and for building a community. That's what you're getting here on this episode. And it's coming from someone who's been a driving force or the driving force behind a new category and several communities. The category is account-based marketing and he wrote two books on it, account-based marketing and ABM is B2B. He created the Flip My Funnel movement, a community, an event series, and a daily podcast that's more than 600 episodes deep now. And he co-founded Terminus, an ABM software company with a nearly 5,000% growth rate over the past few years. We share a title, Chief Evangelist, but he had it first and his inspired mine. He's an exceptional human being and someone you must follow on LinkedIn, in particular for all of the lives that he's doing with great guests and important topics. Sangram Vajray, welcome back to the Customer Experience Podcast. Dude, you just saw me. Can you get a, give me a copy of that introduction? I'll give it to everybody. Just, you just make me sound really cool. 
Absolutely. I, I'm happy to copy and paste that. Before we get going, and it's good to have you back. Before we get going, you're in the Atlanta area. It's, uh, it's mid-May. What's the situation there for, for you or your family or your team or your customers around the pandemic? Interesting. Like, as you probably can, I don't know if people who are listening may will, will laugh, but like, I got my son sitting right behind me uh, because I'm like, you know what? If I'm going through this, you're going through this. So we're going through this together. He's doing his homework or watching some stuff. And while I'm doing all customer calls, executive calls, podcasts, whatever it might be. And I think what's interesting to me is that I think we have gone from boardrooms to living rooms without a whole lot of time to rethink and transition and reframe. And we just jumped into it. And I've, I remember a conversation I had with, uh, with someone in early January. And they said, our business can never go, never go remote. Like there, our business, their lifeblood, our culture is like everything. And now they told me like they're actually having the best time as a business because they, they, they're having super efficient, they've grown, somehow their business actually worked better online. They just didn't know. So it is so interesting. So there is, there's two parts of me, uh, I feel like, and probably similar for you. There's one part of me that is like heartbroken. And looking at this, that's like, oh my God, there are so many businesses that are not functioning well. So many people have lost jobs, so many difficult times, so many people have lost lives. And then things doesn't seem to be completely great. will never be the same for a lot and lots and lots of people. And then there's other part of me, which is the optimistic entrepreneur of me is like, oh man, only like let, let no crisis ever be left without turning that into an opportunity. So I see every organization, every person is like, now is the time, like literally now when everybody's on their backseat, you have an opportunity to do something really, really brave for your community, for your organization, for yourself. So I have these two emotions simultaneously going through and flowing through me. And that's where my heart is. Yeah, it's really good. And I see both of those too. And it's, it's hard not to, um, it's hard not to recognize both sides of that. And, and, and to, your, to the optimistic side of, of what you offered there, which is just beautiful. I have this confidence that we are as a broader culture, despite some of our flaws, you know, I feel very confident that there's enough energy and creativity and simply a will to, to survive and thrive that anything that this new environment presents to us as we kind of keep figuring out where this whole thing's going, some people are going to build business models and employ people around whatever has changed and different. So as much destruction as there is from an economic standpoint, I trust that as a community of people who want to work and solve problems and be of value that will figure it out. And there are enough leaders, I think, to, to create those opportunities for all the people that might not see them, see those opportunities for themselves. So that was awesome. Thank you for, thank you for that. You've already done this once, but I'm going to ask you to do it again. When I say customer experience, Sangram, what does that mean to you? Well, uh, I've done this before. By the way, am I, uh, how many times have you had people come back to your podcast? Only once. Oh man, yeah. I feel lucky. I yeah. feel lucky and blessed. Oh, thanks for having me again. That's cool. Customer experience uh, to me is how it's, it's your brand perception. Ultimately, yeah, I think we all know and we've heard this that you're you know you are what what people say you are, not what you think you are. You might have your own perception around your brand and your company, and like, we solve this, 
But then you go out and ask three of your customers and they have an entirely different perception of who you are or what you do. Doom. That, that's it. Like you, you have to help change that. Otherwise, you can say all you want in your, in your office. So I think customer experience is just that. Nobody ever says, Oh, their marketing sucks, but their sales is amazing, right? Like nobody does that. No, nobody goes on G2 and says that, oh, we, we love Terminus, the executive team, but we hate their you know, customer success. Like nobody does that. People love a brand. So there's no handoff. There's no, no nothing. It's brand is a brand is a brand is just you at the fully. So you have to own the responsibility for good and own the responsibility for the great. And all the responsible, whatever is bad, yeah, all to, together. So I think it is what others say about you. Really good. It's exactly, I mean, I, I say similar. It's, I, I say that it rolls up to those stories. You know, it starts as the feelings that we leave people with. How do they feel about us and about all of our people, not just that one team or that one person. And you're right about that too, is, you know, we don't just compartmentalize these things. I only have so much mental capacity to commit to a brand or a product or a service. You're all kind of one thing to me and it's favorable or it's negative and capable of being saved or it's worst case scenario in a lot of situations is just neutral. I don't really have any strong feelings. Let's go to two other words. You don't need to define them, but you know, we're talking about category and we're talking about community. Mm. What's the relationship between them? Do you see them as somewhat synonymous and you know, what's the state of, of affairs right now? Do you feel like they're more important than ever? I feel like that's a leading yeah, question. Yeah, that, like, that's talk, about, talk about category and community and how they relate to one another. Yeah. So category is probably more important of a word for maybe founders or somebody who is in venture capitalist or somebody who you know, in, in more, on the, um, more on that side of the house, right? Like you're, you're trying to build an entirely brand new category. That's more of an entrepreneurial conversation. Community is, I think, where we all are. Like we all want to be part of a community. And now more than ever, we want to be part of a community. So you know this, uh, this thing that I always say that without a community, you're simply a commodity. And last week, I did a talk at Leadercast and I introduced this new phrase that, you know, we had an exchange on LinkedIn on that, which is I think leadership itself has become more and more diluted. And what I mean by that is every single person can define leadership in their own way, shape, and form. And it's different because people are different, leadership is different. But what hasn't changed since the beginning of time that we all can think about and go back is. The idea that we always lived and built around a tribe, a community. And there was always a community leader, if you want to see, or tribe leader. And, and if you're a VC or a founder or an entrepreneur, think about that as your category leader, right? Everyone owns something that said that this is part of it. And then everybody else wanted to be part and select which tribe do you want to be part of. And I think that is so true and, and has always been true as people for us. So to me, the both ideas are really interesting, but the words are used in a very different context depending on who you're talking about. And it's really important now more than ever. Yeah, I agree. And it, it's, it is interesting when you take it back all the way. I mean, we're a social species and our, we, we have individual identities, but it's formed in part by those around us. And we gravitate toward people who make us feel better about ourselves or like that fulfill our identity or help change it or something. It's really interesting when you take it to that level. 
So I want to go through, you put up this post a while ago now, but it's, uh, I love it. It's such a great list. It was a presentation you gave at Emory University there in Atlanta. You, you may have given it elsewhere, but it was essentially 10 rules to create a category. Before we get into them, why did you bring this talk in particular? I'm going to assume and correct me where I'm wrong, that you had a relationship there and someone was like, hey, Sangram, would you come you know, share some wisdom with our class? And why did you bring this conversation and kind of how did it go and, and did the students engage on it? Yeah, that's a great question, man. So Jeff Perkins, shout out to him. He's the CMO of Park Mobile here in Atlanta and he does guest lectures at Embry. So he was just looking at different topics for his marketing course and that he was teaching as a faculty to bring in people from different perspectives. And he wanted me to come and talk about this idea of like, how is it that we built a category or this whole business around this idea of account-based marketing in a Lanham game? Because he has seen it. He has been on the front row seats. And in his words, I think what we did was something that he didn't think most organizations would even start doing. It's not found in the books that marketing students go through. So he wanted to bring something totally new and new and uh, interesting. And, and the class was very much engaged. The class kept asking, we waited until the very end and they said, not once. And this is like, I don't know if it's a bad or a good thing. So you can be the judge of it and let the community judge for themselves. They said, not once. You told us what your company does and what you do at that company. But I'm on your website and checking it out now. I'm like, that's exactly my point. And then I was done. It's so good. It reminds me of, uh, you were kind enough to allow me to guest host a series on Flip My Funnel. And you were one of my four guests. It was about chief evangelism. And that oh, it was one of the best uh, app series, man. I'm so grateful you did that. Yeah, thank you. It was awesome. It was so fun to do. And I learned so much about it. But that was a theme is certainly in our conversation and certainly with the one with uh, Dan Steinman from Gainsight, where it's you you teach about the problem. And now I'm getting into the list a little bit. But you know, yeah. you teach and talk and build community around the problem or the opportunity, not around the product itself. It's not about the brand or whatever. But in, invariably, and I definitely remember this in particular from Dan Steinman, he said, anytime I would get off of a stage, and, you know, people come up front, some share of the audience always comes up to engage you. And some people ask you a follow-up question about the content in particular, but then the other half of the, half of the people say exactly what you just said, which is, I don't quite know what Gainsight does, but tell me more about the product. How much does it cost? What does it do for me, et cetera. And so it's this, it's a, it's pre-sales, but it doesn't have to be. It's, it's, and I know you attached to what Guy Kawasaki shared about that too, which is it's the, uh, do you remember what, exactly what he said? I think he said, Guy, I think for people who don't know Guy, Guy Kawasaki was the first chief evangelist of any tech company. He was, a, he was at Apple, the first and only chief evangelist for that matter. I think he said that chief evangelism is the purest form of sales. Exactly right. Yes. Uh, right? And, and that was really interesting for me to, to think about is like, is the purest form of sales where ultimately you are, you, and then that the point is like, and you know this, like I get to speak at 20, 30 different events every, like at least like physically until this happened, not virtually, but physically every single week. And, and sometimes we got even paid for me to come and speak. Now, that does not happen if you are going on a stage and pitching your organization, right? So that's the point of evangelism. That's the point of building a community that people stop focusing on for a minute. They forget, wait a minute, what, what company was that? And they get immersed into the problem and they start nodding with you on 
what's going on and feeling that, oh, that person understands my problem. And now they're all of a sudden have an affinity what who you are and then whatever you represent. And if you, whatever you represent, they want to be part of that. And that's how you start building the very first tenants of your community uh, work. So uh, that was a fascinating interview with guys. So thanks for setting that up. Yeah, the um, it reminds me we've we've both been at enough events, and you know that there's a lot of pay to play out there, and so a lot of the people that are on these stages are just coming out like they're not even thinly veiled, they're not even veiled at all, they're just straight sales pitches, and typically they're not very good presentations at all. So it's when you come with a true excitement and passion about how other people can benefit from the ideas, not from a paid subscription or whatever, it differentiates you immediately from a lot of the other people that share that same stage. So let's get into these 10. Let's do this as a speed round. I'll read them and you just give me like your first thought on it. And then we'll go deeper into a few of them because obviously we don't have time to do them all, but I do want to run through them. So just give me your first thought about them as I go. Number one, talk about the problem, not about your product. If the community is created around a problem, not a product, uh, product will change and should change. Uh, you can fall in love. If you fall in love with the product, if it doesn't work, you feel like you're a failure. If you, are, if you fall in love with the problem, you can have a community and they will give you a pass until you figure out the right type of solutions as long as you need. So community really gives... The problem-focused idea really gives you a much longer to runway than a product-focused conversation might do. So good. Number two, tell a story that matters. This is part we all know. Stories stick all along. Each one of us can tell stories from our childhood and, and whatnot. So stories are, is, are different than case studies. Stories are different than um, videos of, of, of a very well-crafted program that you just did. Stories are actually saying that, hey, look, here's how I failed. Here's my problem. Here's what I learned from it. Here's what I thought it was, but it's not. And here's what I found out it was. So stories is like taking people on a journey. And if you get good at that, you can get people on a journey, which leads to for them to following you or being with you on that. And that is a really good way to start whatever group you're starting out there. It is. And I like the subtext there of, of honest and approachable. You know, it's part of uh, part of the story mattering to someone else is that that they can relate to it because it's not overproduced. Number three, bring the top thought leaders together who care about the problem. It's the classic challenge where I remember in the very early days, like nobody knew me, and it's not like everybody knows me. But at that time, absolutely zero. If there was now, it's one. Then at that time, it was zero number of people knew me. And what it was turned out to be the best thing we did was we said, you know what? We don't need to own the microphone over here. We just need to bring people together. We need to bring the people who people listen to. Because if they listen to that person, then 10 people will show up for every person we bring in. And that's how we got the first 300 people to the first Club Mahal conference. And we then started doing that like 10 or 12 conferences we have done. So the idea is that bring people Give them the platform that so that they can share your pro- your message and the problem that you're focused on from the platform. And if their message is, is starting to spread, then your message will spread with them. So it really amplifies everything. Love it. Number four here is bring the best practitioners together who care about the solution. Yeah. So this is a big thing we realized. 
it is good, and I'm great. It is good to bring top leaders who have tons of following because they will bring some sort of just just overall ethos with them to to the to the whole thing. It's going to make your event look legitimate, and then not very well known people who actually give practical advice are the things that people really care about. So having a good blend at any conference, any community event you're doing. Bring the big keynote that can that that people would pay money for if you think about it, and that's great. But real value is in the cohorts of people where they say, you know what? Yeah, I need some tech tactical stuff that that person is talking about, and so a good mix of that is really important. Don't do one or the other. Yeah, and then someone I can relate to is like that's someone who is in a seat that's a lot like the seat that I'm in. Their problems every day are, are my problems or they experience it the same way I do. Really good. I think last one in what feels like a three-part series here is bring, number five, bring competitors together who can help the community. So yeah. you've, got, you've got thought leaders, practitioners, and you've built that bridge nicely, but you also bring competitors in. Yeah, so this is the part where you can actually go from a company event to an industry event. So a company event would be, or a user conference would be where only your customers come in and you do all the same amount of effort. But as soon as you get competitors involved, they will bring their folks over there too. And all of a sudden you become an industry conference. And if you become an industry conference, then you'll actually have media over there, analysts over there. You will have all kinds of conversations happening over there because now people want to be at that conference over at three different conferences, right? So bringing competitors might seem like a rookie move or almost like I'm taking a backstage, backstage. But ultimately, I feel like if you are good, if you're doing, if you're focused on the problem, not on the product, if you're focused on the problem, then you will bring in thought leaders, practitioners, and competitors. It actually makes you look more legitimate that, oh, wow. They are going to going for bats for me, and they're okay. That means they must have something that they're confident about, and people will come and talk to you at your booth. Yeah, it's a real. It's it's a little bit counterintuitive. It's a little bit bold, but it makes so much sense. Again, for folks that are listening, these are ten rules to help build a category and to build a community. We've gotten through five already. If you don't want to write these down, you can go to bombbomb.com slash podcast. I'll have all of them in there. And of course, other links and other benefits related to this episode. And so you can, uh, don't don't feel obligated to write these down. They're all at bombbomb.com slash podcast. Number six, put on a show to bring the message to the masses. Right, like that's where I feel we did the conferences. I remember we wanted to do like, how do we launch our business? How do we let the world know that we exist? And the way we did that was just launching a flip my final conference. And what the conference does is it almost puts everybody at a pause and takes people out of their comfort zone to a physical or virtual location. And then now you're all part of that conversation. So I think a lot of people put a whole bunch of effort in just one on activities going on but never create something where people have to stop and pause and look at what's going on. And that requires a lot of things to come together. Yeah, it's good. It's how you generate that engagement where people are, they can't not participate. It's a show. Number seven, unbrand everything because it's not about you. It's hard. That's probably one of the hardest things. We still today, Blumafal exists as an independent thing. Still today, uh, we are a booth just like everybody else. We do not have... Uh, I still do the keynote, but my keynote is not about Terminus. It's about the state of the union of where the marketing is going and all that stuff. 
So it always creates this interesting tension internally where, wait a minute, we're putting this together, our effort, and why are we not? Why is our logo not there? I'm like, people are not stupid. They know what's going on. They know that you're investing in it. And so you don't need to overly put in their face. You need to be there and hustle the same way everybody else is. That shows that you actually got the guts to go do this thing. But when you're putting in, when your goal is to create an industry conference, gosh, you need to think way bigger than a user conference. Number eight, and this harkens back a little bit to number one, educate, educate, educate about the problem and the solution. Yeah. Now this is where, this is where you don't, you said there's a part of all of this so far, you've set the stage, set the dinner table, you're invited. You don't know if people don't know who the host is, you've got a problem, right? Like that is not the goal there. So at every given point, you need to be able to figure out, okay, we're going to have set the table, invite the people to the party and make sure that you do the toast and people know what this is all about and where you're going. So part of this is making sure that you own the narrative. So what we did in our case, we went in and did, as you said, a daily podcast. We ended up writing two books on it. So we made sure that you're always innovating the narrative collectively from all the input we're getting from the conference and everything else. But we own the narrative from day one. We never let the narrative slip and continue to create a new narrative that market can move in that direction. Really good. Number nine, write enough that it becomes a standard. Uh, framework, a real book, the university, like there are a lot of different ways to do it, but write enough that it becomes a standard. Yeah. So you know this, like even for the flip map follow was a framework, the team uh, thing that we put in ABM is B2B is a framework. So everything we do is creating a standard there. So it's easily, uh, one, one of the things, one of my favorite uh, speakers is a pastor in, in Atlanta, Andy Stanley. And he talks about this idea that if it's not, if it's not repeatable, you know, it's not memorable. And if it's not memorable, it's not scalable. So you need to figure out ways to make it repeatable, memorable, and scalable in every way form. It's not just a marketing thing. It's not just a business thing. It's not just a product thing. With your message, you need to do that. So part of it is like creating frameworks. We created uh, frameworks. We created ABMU. We created like all these different things to just get people to, to be part of that story beyond an event that you might have put on. Yeah, what I love about one of the implications of what you just shared there is that uh, word of mouth and, and the communities, like a, a community member's ability to tell someone who's maybe one foot in, one foot outside of the community to be able to bring them in, but they need to, it needs to be memorable. I need to be able to repeat it and it needs to be repeated probably in a word of mouth context. And that is how the community grows one person with influence over one other person at a time. Grow, grow, grow. Tenth and finally, give credit to the community, not to your company. Yeah. So this is uh, this is where you know how the Flip and Flip podcast rolls, right? Today it's a daily podcast. I literally just do one episode. Tuesday takeovers are done by by fine folks like you. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday are the repeat um, audios from all the conferences we have done, so they get the credit for it. So we continue to do that, and uh, I feel like ultimately our success is seeing more people having the jobs in the industry uh, with ABM in their title. We look at the successes, like not how many people have signed up for our conference or event, but like how many people are getting promoted in their, in their businesses to do that. So finding ways we created this ABM uh, uh, Flip My Funnel Awards at the end of the year that we give out to people a real big thing that they can put on their desk. And so we want to really celebrate that with people 
and beyond just saying that, well, this, it doesn't say Terminus Trophy, it says Club Trophy. Yeah, I like the celebratory aspect of that. Obviously, we can't go deep into all of them, although I appreciate, I, th- I think we did a pretty good job with the speed round version of the top 10 there. Thank you for that. But, you know, when, when you think about that list, and obviously these are things that, that you've developed over the years, and, um, you know, a, as you've, I'm assuming that you're, you know, kind of around this education and writing piece that you're just constantly developing these ideas. When you think about this list, what are two or three that you think are misunderstood or big opportunities or compelling in some other way? When you think about this list and you think about the people that you're interacting with on LinkedIn or the, you know, people that you used to spend time with physically who were, you know, maybe uh, back when we could do that, you know, at, at, at flip my funnel conferences and things, what are, what are two or three that, that kind of stand out to you in some compelling way? Or you can start with one at a time. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think probably the most misunderstood or not leveraged enough is the idea that is really the number one, which is the problem focus. So I keep saying this over and over again, that uh, create a problem market fit, not a product market fit. So most software people know or in the SaaS businesses that, oh, we got to get product market fit, which means that we got to have 100 customers and you know, doing, paying them at X dollars an hour. And I'm like, that's all fine, but you hit a wall at some point. And what you really can do with this idea of belongship and this idea of without a community or a commodity thing or building a community at first is what Salesforce did, what Dream, uh, with Dreamforce, what HubSpot did with... Uh, um, with inbound and what we're trying to do with Flip My Funnel is this idea that, look, we are so focused on the problem that we will forgo, forgo this idea that we came up with the idea or we had anything to do with the idea. We will forgo that. So I remember a conversation with Brian Halligan about this. They never trademarked inbound. And I asked him, like, why didn't you trademark it? And he said, because the best ideas are things that you want to you just give it away so that there would be more adoption of it. If we actually held it, patented it, and put it all together, you know, we're not cold, right? Like, we, we can, we, you know, it's not, we're not doing that. We, 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 it's a different model, different business. So we needed to build a community. And now, if anybody wants to compete with us, they will have to go through this 20,000 raving fans wall to climb up to in order to jump into. And then maybe so, they might be able to compete with our product. So I think the challenge that, that I've seen people run into is that it is so deep. It has to be so deep that typically in all these organizations, what's common is it's typically run by either the founder or the CEO of the organization. You know, again, go back to the same examples. Mark Benioff, like Brian Halligan, like these are all CEOs, like Gainside, like Nick Mehta. Um, you think about the founder or the CEO has to be fully vested in it. It is not a one-off marketing campaign because it will be short-lived and it will be gone. But you, as a founder, you have to be fully vested in it, which means you have to be vested in the company uh, for a longer period of time, not trying to flip it. So all that creates a really challenging, um, challenging case for most organizations. But the companies who do it and the people who do it, they typically have a 10x return on their investment. So there's a bright side. Yeah, and a very compelling one. I love that. Uh, I love. I was just thinking open source as you were talking about inbound and why not to trademark or patent it or anything. I just kept thinking of like people that are, are open sourcing code 
and just, you know, this is going to be so much more valuable if, if it plugs into more things and more people can use it and there's no reason to kind of hoard it up. You kind of hit on something that, that went in a direction that I would like to go a little bit deeper on. And that's this idea of, and it's related to kind of number seven, which you had, you know, which is unbrand everything and how challenging that can be. I think, you know, the philosophical piece of let's stop just talking about our brand name and our product all the time. And let's start talking about the problem. This idea of unbranding, you know, probably calls into, in calls out like, what's the ROI around this? Why are we doing these things that don't have our brand on them and all that? And that kind of rolls into the question that I have for you, which is for an organization that likes these ideas and says, okay, this sounds like this might be for us. It sounds consistent with uh, something that we would like to do, or we have some seeds planted that seem like they have potential for a really good community. Even if it doesn't, even if it's not a new category, let's say, how can someone operationalize this or get going around these kind of 10 activity areas? I mean, you're obviously in a unique position where you have a lot of experience with a lot of awesome companies, including Pardot Salesforce. And, you know, you, you co-founded the company. So you inherently have trust and people are going to trust your vision. You have a voice at the table and, and all this. I'm sure you've talked with people who've struggled to get going around some of these themes. What tips do you have to bring these into an organization and kind of start bringing them to life? Yeah, it's, it's very hard. It, it is extremely hard. I would not advise people to do it unless you are going to fully commit to it and commit to it to long periods of time. The part that, you know, as you were asking that question, I was thinking about is, is, you know, when I talk to, and I'm having tons, and it's funny, I'm having tons and tons of conversation lately about this than I ever did before. It tells us where we are at the time, where everybody's trying to build a brand. And one of the most interesting things about building a brand is actually doing it to not build a brand. It sounds very paradoxical, but it just stay with me here for a second. So when I, when I put stuff on LinkedIn, and you know this, like there's probably a like I, I, two years ago, I said, I'm going to post every day. I don't care how many people like it or not. I'm just going to make it a habit. I just did that and continue to do that. And that has led to a lot of great things. But one of the things that happened is that I, I didn't I post maybe once a month about my company. And I post that with a lot of like pride. Like, hey, because my company is doing it, I want to say something. But only once a month. Everything else, like 99% of my posts are not about my company. It's about the person that we are potentially selling to. So. All that's that to do is that it creates a brand for your organization. Uh, like, for example, how many people you know on LinkedIn today that you don't know which company they work for? Chances are you don't... Like, if you know a person, you know which company they work for. So it's not hidden. The, the un unbranding is not saying that be invisible. The unbranding means that you don't need... You need to stop thinking of people as stupid people or dumb people. People know who you work for. People understand where you're coming from. People know what you need to go, what you're doing. But you, they, they expect respect for their time. And you start respecting their time. You start giving them value in every interaction you do. You start depositing this, this idea of constantly depositing into it. So the month, end of the month or something, when you're trying to pull a, a buck out of it, People would love you for that. People want you to that. People were like, well, what's wrong with this person? Like, why is he not tired? So you want that kind of feeling in people. And again, it's very few people do that and they lose on. Yeah, so interesting. I, I had a really great guy 
named Ed Briolt on the podcast. And one of his two mantras for the year is that the personal brand is the new company brand. That mm. the company's brand is built of what I think about and how I feel about the people I'm interacting with at your company. Yes. And, you know, in the, in the case that you were just offering there on LinkedIn, and you're exactly right. It's this if I think you're a good person or an interesting person or you're doing interesting work or you have an interesting perspective and I like to engage on your posts and so you keep showing up in my feed every day that I am going to know you and I'm going to feel better about your company as a consequence of it. And that, you know, instead of the company going out and I think that's a nice little button on this list. If folks listening enjoyed this conversation, of course, you're going to love episode 42 with today's guest, Sangram Vajre. Uh, we titled that one, Five Ways Internal Alignment Can Elevate Your Customer Experience. And, you know, a lot of the themes that you heard today in the conversation are in that conversation, but it was a lot more practical. We were talking a little bit more about how you work and your day-to-day and the way teams are structured and the way that you interact with one another. So there are a lot of very practical operations tips in that one. And then more recently on episode 74 with Steph Caldwell, who's the senior customer success leader and community architect at Narrative Science. That one was called Using Tech to Scale the Human Touch and Build Community. And interestingly about Steph, I think you'd, I think you'd find her to be an interesting person too. Her first foray into community was just building a community in Chicago where she lives of young professional women who were kind of hitting, not really a glass ceiling, but were kind of hitting this this roadblock in their careers of like maybe not getting the promotion. So she just organized a whole bunch of people who had this problem yeah. and they got together and built a website and built a community and they, you know, did events until we couldn't do events anymore. And anyway, so that's episode 42 with Sagram and episode 74 with, uh, with Steph Caldwell at Narrative Science. And you can find that in all those episodes at bombbomb.com slash podcast. I didn't do the homework of, of, of reminding myself who you said last time I asked you these two questions, but I'm going to ask them to you again yeah. anyway. Who would you like to thank or mention as someone who's had a positive impact on your life or your career? And what company or brand would you shout out for the way they deliver for you as a customer? Oh, great, great question. Well, one, um, being yesterday, being the mother's dad, like my wife um, and my mom, both of them had tremendous amount of impact on who I am and the shape of like everything, how I think about stuff. So love, respect to them both uh, more than anybody that I know. They have more influence on me than they know. They would, you know, they would not think, say that, but that's just true. So both uh, strong, I mean, incredibly strong women. In terms of brands, um, I feel like one brand that comes to me more than anything is Charity Water. Charity Water, uh, people have not heard about it. It's a nonprofit organization. They change the way they do business uh, of nonprofit, where 100% of the money goes to a nonprofit organization. And as a result of them, you know, when ABM is B2B buck, we give all the proceeds of non- to a nonprofit called New Story. Charity, which is another organization, very similar business model, 100% money goes to helping companies, uh, helping people build houses in areas where people have no ability to build a house. So, so it's really interesting when I look at even when nonprofits are running as a business and creating value so greater than any one of us can create an just for profit world. I love the combination of that. So, shout out to both, non-pro- both nonprofits, New Story. Charity and Chad Ward. 
I love it. I, I really like this innovation that Charity Water brought to the whole thing that, you know, innovation isn't just, uh, I mean, they're not solving a new problem. They're solving a sadly persistent problem, which is not enough people have access to clean water. It's actually a shocking, shocking volume of fellow human beings on earth that do not have access to clean water. So the problem isn't new. The innovation is the way, as you already said, the way they, they run the organization and essentially run charity. So it's awesome. And I really liked what you did with that. If folks want to learn more about New Story, of course, you can visit their website. And I'll link all that up at bombbomb.com slash podcast. We actually talk about it a little bit back on episode 42 as well. Cool. Uh, I forgot to ask you this. So I'm going to ask you one more question. Yeah. Becoming intentional. And actually your offer there about your wife and your mom reminded me of it because I feel like it's... it what you're doing with becoming intentional and the becoming intentional hashtag and just this, this kind of philosophy really, really blends personal professional together really nicely. And it feels so true to who you are uh, as a person. Just talk a little bit about what, uh, how that occurred to you and when you decided to kind of formalize that you're doing things around this becoming intentional. I feel like it's the seeds of a community. Yeah, it, 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 it certainly is. And we'll see where it goes. But I learned something, which is every day. But one of the main things I learned recently was that being intentional is way more important than being brilliant. So I'll say that again, because it took me a while to, to really receive it myself. So, so for those who want to list, uh, who are eight, eight great people, like you might need, need to listen again because B and C get it. Being intentional is way more important than brilliant, uh, being brilliant. Uh, what I mean by that is that, look, you may have the greatest, coolest idea in the world. And so many people have it every day. Like people have talked about having that they had the idea of Uber, they had the idea of like, you know, drones, they had the idea of all these crazy, crazy stuff, right? But it doesn't really matter. Because what matters is the few people who actually were intentional enough to focus enough to do that. And that's the difference between everybody else and that 1%. So I've just started being more intentional about how I'm, I'm leading my family and being part of my family, part of my team, part of my community, part of my company. And I'm just realizing that it's important to be intentional. It's important to take a pause every so often, reevaluate what's going on and rethink and reimagine because you may have the best idea, best, you know, best thoughts around everything. But if you're not intentional, if you're not writing the thank you notes, if you're not bringing customers in the office so people can imagine, if you're not intentional about the things that actually do matter to you and the organization to grow or yourself to grow, you're going to miss out on it. And it's not worth it. So good. Uh, as I said in the beginning, uh, you're an awesome human being. I appreciate you spending this time with me and with folks who are listening. I'm glad I asked that at the end, that it's like a, it feels like a great call to action, which is how you and flip my funnel, you know, uh, uh, what, what should we do about this next? So for folks that want to follow up, they want more of your, uh, your teaching, more of your philosophy, uh, they want to engage with you or any of the communities that you're involved in, where would you send people? LinkedIn. Okay. Sangram Vajray on LinkedIn. You won't miss him. And uh, you'll be glad that you, that you reached out and connected. Sangram, thank you so much. I hope you have an awesome rest of your week. Oh, man. Thank you so much. And thanks everybody for listening. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. 
If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.